0: We're looking today at Acts chapter 15, going to read a fairly substantial passage from from verse 1 uh, through to verse 35, which says this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad when they came to Jerusalem They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling them about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, Listen to me, Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known. From long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath." Then the apostles and elders, with the whole church, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with a blessing of peace to return to those who'd sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. I wonder what your first reaction is to hearing that passage read, if you're familiar with it, um, trying to perhaps stifle a yawn. You know, when, when you reach about 10 years old, people start asking you the question, what do you do when you, want to grow, when you grow up? Uh, for me, that was racing car driver. I see a show of how, anyone else with me on that, maybe. Professional footballer, I don't know. Business owner, Maybe. Astronaut, rocket scientist. This chapter is the most important chapter in the book of Acts. And that's what I'm going to try and persuade you of this morning. And I might just try and nudge it a bit further and say this passage that we've just looked at is the most important passage in the Bible... For this church, the church in the UK, the church in the Western world, and perhaps beyond that as well. If you think otherwise, I won't take it personally, in a couple of weeks I reserve the right to change my mind and say that something else is the most important passage of the scripture you've ever heard in your life, but I'm I'm convinced of this. If you think something else, then uh, come and let me know, but you have to let me know what other passage you think is the most important in the world right now but that sounds strange because most of the passage sounds like the minutes of a meeting and when you were 10 and you were asked or maybe you're 10 right now and you're asked what do you want to do when you grow up did anybody answer by saying i want to go to meetings <laughs> i i want to take minutes Now, I've learned over the course of a few years, they can be incredible, not only meetings, but also the minutes can be incredibly helpful and important. But personally, they've never been the reason for getting out of bed in the morning. So, with a passage that sounds like this, almost you can cut the. We don't know if there were any apologies given. It seems that there's just one question or one item on the agenda, and then you get the record of who was there and what they said and the chairperson suggests an action, and that's that's enacted, and a letter is written, and then a letter is sent with a few delegates, and we've all had a very successful meeting, thank you. So why is it the most important chapter in the book of Acts? And I'd suggest at the moment in our culture and society, it's the most important chapter in the whole Bible. Well, let's Let's dig into it, even though it might not sound very uh, rock and roll. I want you to imagine to start with a bungee run. Have you, have you ever seen one of these, have you ever, ever been on one? I just imagine right now, imagine this, this central aisle is a bungee run. Basically, it resembles a, a low and long bouncy castle. And at this end, there's a big kind of elasticated bungee cord. And if you've ever done this, you you know that that bungee cord will be connected to you. And for some reason, this is fun, you you run as fast and as hard as you can. And then at some point, you reach the moment when the the bungee rope is stronger than your ability to run, and it pulls you back. That's why it has to be kind of an inflatable, because when that happens, you just get seriously hurt if you were just bouncing along the concrete at that point. Can I, I'd, I'm into a show of hands this morning. Um, have you ever done a bungee run? Okay. Hands up if you beat the bungee or... Well, let's just go with that. Hands up if you beat the bungee. No. Hands up if the bungee beat you. Yeah? Okay. So then that moment comes and you're kind of like pulled backwards. What's happening in this passage? It's as though a huge bungee has just been attached to the church in Antioch. But they didn't know. And there's no inflatable safety net, as it were. They have been running. And they've been running well. They have received the gospel, Jew and Gentile, together in a church, united by faith. They've they've been a place where... Gifts of the Spirit flourish, where many people have given their lives to the Lord. Barnabas went there, and he could see the evidence of the grace of God. And you get, therefore, that he could just see that the grace of God had transformed people's lives. That The way that they were now living their life, the way that this big company of people were relating to each other, demonstrates the power of this wonderful gospel. And not only that, they're not just kind of forming some cozy club. They've got a massive heart and faith to reach nations, so the Holy Spirit prompts them to send Paul and Barnabas out, basically to start more churches that closely resemble that church in Antioch. Uh, They're generous, they receive prophetic ministry. When there's an opportunity to give, they're like, yes, we're in because we want to bless the nations. We want to bless those who don't have as much as we have. They are a wonderful church worth emulating, worth learning from in every single way. But at this point, something has happened that disturbs and troubles this church. And it's this, that certain people, that's like New Testament code for wrong okay? Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's the, that's the moment where the bungee is trying to pull them back, but there's no bouncy castle. They are just bouncing against concrete, going, What? They've received the grace of God. They've received the good news in Jesus. They've been vibrantly, wonderfully born again. And now. Some voices that might seem authorized and might seem impressive in some way, people who've come from Jerusalem, for goodness sake, are saying, You're not saved. And if you want to be saved, you need to uh, be circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses. When that question, or when that issue is repeated in Jerusalem, it says in verse 5 then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the the Gentiles, everyone who's not Jewish across the whole planet, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. If the council in Jerusalem had agreed with them, consider for a moment how different our worship would be. When When you think of Uh, Dave and Rach and Gavin uh, praying out earlier on and just celebrating the grace of God that's for us in Jesus Christ. Here's what our worship songs would sound like if the Jerusalem Council went with those certain people. What can wash away our sin? What can make us whole again? Nothing but the law, nothing but the law of Moses. Now, I've got another one as well. Can I just do the, my other one? Oh, you're kind. Thank you. Um, amazing rules. How sweet the sound that saved a saint like me our worship would just lose its vitality in the grace of God. And it would be more significant that, because actually, we wouldn't be singing at all. If we weren't celebrating the goodness and the grace of God, we wouldn't be singing at all. And if it wasn't for what happened here in chapter 15, we wouldn't be here at all. Because the bungee rope attached to the church in Antioch, and to the Apostle Paul and others, would have just yanked them back all the way into the law, and there'd be no Christian church. So what happened here is massively significant, and you can imagine now then the impact on that church in Antioch that was... That was now, it had been running so well, but was rocked, wobbled, doubting, bruised, uncertain. And that can actually happen to any church and any Christian. That a Christian can be absolutely clear on the gospel of grace that we are saved only by faith in Jesus and all that he's achieved for us by his death on the cross and his resurrection, it's possible to be clear. And then, after some time, hear some other voices wanting to pull you back into legalism, into law, into thinking, well, I'm not good enough. Uh, You can hear, whispers in your own thoughts, as it were, or maybe it's louder than that, kind of reminding you of your past sin. We might remember that the Apostle Paul is responsible for the death of a Christian called Stephen. And then you wonder, did he wake up sometimes in the morning, and just in his mind's eye, he's kind of taken back to that moment where he was holding everybody's coats so that other people could pick up stones and throw them to kill a Christian man called Stephen. Or you wonder what it's like for another apostle, Peter. Uh, Well, there are some mornings where he was woken up and he was just taken back and he was reminded of that fireside kind of courtyard moment when Jesus is being tried and he's going to be executed the next day. And And Peter denies knowing him. I don't know the man. Sometimes we can be reminded of our history, of our past. It comes calling to us. are oh, the things that I've done, the things that I've said, the things that I didn't do. And just be yanked back into, and, and therefore, you're no good. You're not acceptable to God. I'm not telling you the truth at this point. I'm just reminding you of some of the lies that we can hear in our own minds, in our own lives. Or maybe point to hear about comparisons that Ali was mentioning earlier on. You could see someone else and you can see how they're serving God. And you can think yourself, well, it's obvious. It's obvious to me. I'm sure it's obvious to everyone else that that person is acceptable to God. Look at how they're serving. Listen to that when they pray. Think about the impact that they've had. It's not like that with you, is it? What's your prayer life like? How much good are you doing? Oh, I'll try and pay you back, I'll try and pay you back, Lord, I'll try, and, I'll try and do more, I'll try and pray harder, I'll try and get to all the meetings, I'll even write the minutes, anything, Lord God, I think I'll try and work myself back. And we can hear those voices, and that's nothing but the voice of demons trying to rob you of your joy in the gospel of Christ. It is possible for a man like Paul, who is responsible for the death of a Christian, to know... I've been cleansed from my past sin completely. And it's gone. And I'm no longer living in the shadow of all of that. I know the grace of God. It set me free from all that guilt. And now I'm free to live my life for God. So I'm not listening to those voices anymore. And it's possible for Peter to have said that. When he's reminded of his own sin. Reminded of his past failings. To say... But I know Christ, and Christ has set me free from my sin. He's set me free from all my failings. I don't need to live with that guilty backdrop. I belong to Christ, and now I can live for Him. And there might be people who are better at praying than I am. There might be people who know the Bible better than I know the Bible. There might be people who are doing more good than I'm doing But that doesn't change a thing in the sight of God because I'm in Christ. And the only thing that saves us is what he's done for us. This was so significant that you might notice in verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them they could see that there was something so important, something so important was at stake that they were prepared to make sure that there was an argument. Because if there was no argument, lots of people might get sucked in to that way of thinking. Just turn for a moment to Galatians and see how Paul... Writes there to the churches actually that he's just recently planted in terms of where we're at in Acts. And he says this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. You might think, Paul, are you just kind of giving in to a moment of exaggeration here? That sounds like quite an extreme thing to say. Just keep reading. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Something matters so much, he's prepared to write and speak in those terms. How many Gospels are there? One. Now that one Gospel is so wonderful, it's so Amazing that the, that one gospel, perhaps it could be approached from from different directions, perhaps there are different writers in the New Testament who, who share it in a different light, if you like, and you can see if, if, if like the world 's largest diamond, you, it would have so many different facets and it would catch the light in so many different ways, it would genuinely sparkle. We have a gospel that absolutely sparkles with the grace of God but there's only one gospel so it matters to pay attention to it now I might be stealing someone else's thunder here because in a few weeks we'll get to this passage but just see what happens in the book of Acts in chapter 16 when Paul and now Silas go to a place called Philippi they meet the Philippian jailer. They meet him because they've been imprisoned for stirring up trouble. And we're told there in Acts chapter 16 that they had their feet fastened in the stock. So this might go a bit wrong with the microphone in my pocket, but let's give it a go anyway. So basically the whole night, they're sat, their feet locked up. And what are they doing? They're they're praying and singing their worship to God. So all that time... I hope this doesn't make it onto the internet. All that time, um, the jailer is hearing them speak to God, and he's picking some stuff stuff up from what they hear. And then an earthquake strikes. This is a massive crisis, especially for the Philippian jailer. He is so frightened by the prospect of all the prisoners escaping that he's about to run himself through he's about to end his own life before paul calls out don't harm yourself and then he says this question acts chapter 16 verse 30 sirs what must i do to be saved now what's the answer to that question Obviously, you can read ahead to verse 31 and see what they said, but what must I do to be saved? And if someone in your life is asking that question or something similar because some catastrophe has just happened, the whole world seems to be falling apart for your friend, and they say, What must I do to be saved? What's your answer? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Any qualifiers there? Any additional steps? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and go to church every Sunday. I can introduce you to Lydia later. Read your Bible every day. Pray three times a day. Share your faith with an unbeliever at least once a week, fast, two times a week, buy an electric car, (laughs) stop eating meat, although we'll get to that subject a little bit later on, change your wardrobe, like entirely, is that what's there? Or is it just those words? Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, no doubt he's already heard more from them praying out and singing out through the night about this man called Jesus and what he has done and about his death and about his resurrection. So I think he was ready But right at the heart of it, the gospel is, believe the good news that's in Jesus. And if we really get the grace of God, and if you really understand just how wonderful and how special the grace of God truly is to cleanse you completely, to cleanse us completely from all our sin, it should lead to this question. Well, If the grace of God is that good, why don't I just continue in sin? Because, I mean, it just sounds amazing. It makes sense to ask that question. You have to read other parts of the scripture to understand that if the grace of God has set us free from sin, then it's set us free not to go back to it, as we'll see in a little while. But right at the heart of the gospel is not some heavy yoke of legalism. Jesus plus your obedience Jesus plus your wardrobe. Jesus plus certain rituals and things to do on a Sunday and not. That's what saves you. Jesus plus the rules. That is not the gospel. The gospel is believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And that's the good news that continued to spread out from Antioch and elsewhere because when they met together, in Acts chapter 15, it had the effect, by that letter, of cutting that bungee rope that certain people had tried to pin onto them. And the apostles are united, and they cut it off, and they say, go. So, more journeys, more churches, more people saved, more nations impacted with the gospel. It's good news. This is so important. Now, a question might arise at this point. Well, if that's the case, why did James then suggest a few rules? Did he have like a nervous moment where he thought, well, we don't want to place this big heavy yoke on their shoulders of obeying all of the laws of Moses but a little dose of legalism can be helpful it can go a long way so let's just oh you know we're not saying much but we're just going to say a few things because that kind of reassures us that we're doing a good job we couldn't just write a letter saying don't listen to them it kind of reassures it reassures us to think I had something to contribute so I'll just add a few things in is that what he was doing? Sometimes when people hear the good news of Jesus, they might be thinking, where's the catch? Where's the catch? Show me the small print. You're telling me about the grace of God, but, but I'm, I'm kind of waiting, waiting for the catch. And then you get to that letter and you see what they have to abstain from. You say, ah, got it, nailed it. These rules are there, pesky rules, just to keep you back all the same. The bungee rope's still attached. It's still about your obedience. It's still about the rules. They've just tried to put a nice glow on things. Now, it's really important that we understand what James and the other apostles are doing. He didn't lose his nerve. He wasn't saying a little bit of legalism is helpful. He was still, as all the apostles do, laying down the grace of God. Saying this wonderful gift of God's grace leads to some things that also really matter. It's challenging for us because we live in a society that celebrates changing, ignoring, or abandoning rules. I guarantee... Well, no, I don't guarantee, but I almost do. I could guarantee. The next time you're sat down watching the latest family-friendly film on Netflix other platforms are available, I could, I could almost guarantee that that film that we quite like and is quite well made and is eye-catching and is clever and is witty is probably undermining there being a sense in which we should keep to a set of rules that have got a historic background. I can almost guarantee that the the plot of the film will be, let's undermine the rules. Let's change the rules. Rules are oppressive. Rules are just there to hold you back. Have none of it. Open your eyes. I say that for two things. There are two really important matters that are bound up in in this chapter. Chapter. You see, the grace of God matters so much. And the grace of God, first of all, it leads us to unity. The grace of God at work is so important that actually it draws people together with profoundly different cultures and backgrounds. So when the letter is written seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals. Let's just stop there for a moment. Why? Why do they need to say that? Well, because as it was put earlier on in verse 21... For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Even the Gentiles would know this. They'd be in some ways familiar with what was said in the synagogue. And this was a significant uh, point for the Jewish community to mark themselves out as different So if you have new Gentile believers flaunting their newfound freedom and just eating anything, how could they build church with Jewish believers in Jesus who have been taught all the way through their life not to eat blood or the meat of strangled animals? That's kind of connected, really. If the animal was strangled, then its blood was still in its body, they were told not to, because blood was given for atonement. It was given to bring uh, forgiveness of sins through the sacrificial system. So the the Jews understood all of that. There were things, therefore, that they avoided, like pork as well, for being unclean. There are other things that they would avoid in terms of where food had been uh, sacrificed to idols. The, the, The Gentile believers might be celebrating their freedom... And giving their Jewish brothers and sisters a big problem. And therefore you don't have one church celebrating one gospel. You have two churches doing it in different ways. Because they can't be together. So the grace of God is so wonderful. But that shouldn't lead us to to a kind of arrogant, careless, reckless attitude. Which is like, well, no one can tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me what to eat. I've got this newfound freedom, been forgiven for all my sin. Now we might know, we do know clearly from the New Testament, that ultimately, no food is off the menu. Look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. And verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. That's true. But we're not trying to cause offense to other believers by what we eat. We're therefore called to abstain. There are things to abstain from. Your conscience, let's just put this into a different uh, context for a moment, your conscience may allow you, if you're over 18, uh, to drink alcohol in moderation. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, so you're not going to drink to excess. That that's, your your conscience is strong in that area. All around the world, there will be there will be Christians, and in our own nation, in different traditions, there will be Christians who've who've grown up being taught don't drink alcohol at all. Don't touch it. I might exercise my freedom to have a beer or whatever. But the fact that I'm united in faith with this other brother means, guess what? Having a drink doesn't really matter that much. What matters is not putting a stumbling block in a brother's way. So in certain situations, not going to drink. And, And in certain situations or cultures, if I go plant a church in another nation, I might never drink alcohol again. Why? Because the gospel matters. Because unity with my Christian brothers and sisters matters. That's what we're being that's what's being brought to our attention. And that idea of abstaining, the word kind of derives from a word that means to be full, to be satisfied. So it's possible, in the grace of God, to say, I've had enough. I, I, don't need to, I don't need to have a drink. I never need to have a drink again, actually. The grace of God is so good, it satisfies me. And being in the community that grace creates satisfies me. What then, about sexual immorality? You might be thinking, "Well, Dan, are, are you applying the same logic there? Basically, nothing's off the menu. You can do what you want, but for the sake of some other people who might have some strange ideas, just moderate your behavior for now. things will you know give it a few decades, give it a couple of centuries, and things will loosen up, don't you worry, but for now, just for. For the time being it's necessary to abstain from certain things no that's not the case it's not just about respecting other people's sensitivities when it comes to this and why do I say that because again the New Testament is so clear turn back to Mark chapter 7 The same dialogue that Jesus was having with his disciples earlier on, where Mark adds in that footnote, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Leaving where we left off, verse 20, he went on, What comes out of a person, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then a few examples sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So Jesus is declaring all foods clean, but he's not declaring all sexual behaviors clean. He is affirming at that point what was understood And what can be understood now from Scripture. And think for a moment, back to this council. Think about who is there. When they write the letter and say, we are all agreed. Think again about this profound moment. uh, Barnabas? Paul. How much of the New Testament did Paul write? Peter is present. He may have helped Mark to write that gospel, and he went on to write some letters himself. He's there. The apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle to the Jews. Who else is there? The apostle James. Seems to always be like the chairperson who has written part of the New Testament. I don't think Luke was there, but he's carefully investigated it. He's written a fairly substantial amount of the New Testament as well. They're all there, And they are all agreed, don't put a heavy burden on the believers, but tell all of them abstain from sexual immorality. The grace of God is so good. The grace of God is so satisfying. I can say, I'm full, I've had enough. It's not essential. Let me just turn to one other passage, just to see what Paul will write later on, to the churches in Thessalonians, in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3. To see again, the New Testament is so clear about this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. How many gospels are there? One. The apostles gather together and they are clear. Nothing saves us but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He can do that for you today in a moment by you coming before him and saying to God, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died in my place. I believe he rose again so that I can have a new life. I believe that by his blood, he cleansed me from everything. All my unrighteousness. So that now and for all time, I'm one of his people. I will never deserve this. I'll never earn it. But I can know that to be true. And be free from guilt forever. You could be responsible for somebody's death and be forgiven for all your sin now and forever. You could be like that Philippian jailer whose whole career has been doing someone else's dirty work. I wonder what his job description was. What did he do? How did he treat those he imprisoned and guarded? You're going to spend your whole adult life doing someone else's dirty work and be cleansed from all sin now and forever. And this wonderful grace will lead us into these two different things. It will lead us into unity. It will lead us into being a community that does welcome, that where we bear with one another, you are not required to become British to be a believer. You're not required to change your culture to accept Jesus. He's pretty stoked and happy to save the world. It leads us into unity. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ leads us into purity as well. Look at all the flags. You won't see every flag of every nation. But we celebrate a gospel that is for all nations. So it's great to know. Uh, Joseph and Lillian will be with us in a couple of weeks from Zambia. It's great to be an international company of people celebrating the grace of God. Can I just point out a flag that isn't there? And what we aren't celebrating this month? you won't find a flag for LGBTQ+. Because to wave that flag requires believing a different gospel. This is a gospel for all nations. This is is good news for everyone under the sun. And we have received this letter. That's why this chapter is so important. Are you clear on the grace of God? Are you fighting those accusations? You you could be free from them, you know, take them captive by the word of truth. Are you clear on the grace of God so that if you come across someone who says, what must I do to be saved? You have an answer that matches up with what the apostles would tell us. And are you ready? Are we ready? To proclaim the good, loving grace of God by holding to what the Bible says about sexual immorality. It doesn't make us unloving. It doesn't make us unkind. It doesn't mean that we're trying to tear down people. It means that we care passionately that people receive the one true gospel.